0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Queer Voices of the South podcast on the New Books Network. I'm John Marzalek, your host for today's podcast. Today I'm talking to Baker A. Rogers about their book, King of Hearts, Drag Kings in the American South. While drag subcultures have gained mainstream media attention in recent years, the main focus has been on female impersonators. Equally lively, however, is the community of drag kings, cis women, trans men, and non-binary people who perform exaggerated masculine personas on stage under such names as Adonis Black, Pappy Shulo, and Oliver close King of Hearts shows how drag king performers are thriving in an unlikely location. Southern Bible Belt states like Tennessee... Georgia, and South Carolina. Based on observations and interviews with 60 Southern drag kings, this study reveals how they are challenging the region's gender norms while creating a unique community with its own distinctive Southern flair. Reflecting the region's racial diversity, it profiles not only white drag kings, but also those who are African-American, multiracial, and Hispanic. Queer scholar Baker A. Rogers, who has also performed as drag king Make in Love, takes you on an insider's tour of Southern drag king culture, exploring its history, the communal bonds that unite it, and the controversies that have divided it. King of Hearts offers a groundbreaking look at a subculture that presents a subversion of gender norms while also providing a vital lifeline for non-gender conforming Southerners. Baker, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here today. I wondered if you could begin by telling our listeners about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, well, my name is Baker Rogers. I'm an associate professor of sociology at Georgia Southern University. Um, I live in South Carolina, and I'm from South Carolina. So mm-hmm. i born and raised Southerner, I'm very interested in gender and sexuality, um, in the south, that's what m- most of my research is about, and um, my teaching is about as well. And yeah, um, anything else you'd like to know, I'm happy to share. But I'm just glad to be here to talk with you a little about this book.
0: Yeah, and how did you come? How did you come to write this book?
1: Well, let's see. Um, so in graduate school, I I went to Mississippi State University for my PhD, and um, in graduate school, I was doing my dissertation. This is kind of the long version of the answer to your yeah. question. Uh, I was doing my dissertation on Mississippi Christians' views of gay and lesbian civil rights.
0: Um, oh, wow. Actually,
1: that's what my first book, Conditionally Accepted, also with Rutgers, was about. Um, but while I was doing that, I was getting pretty down because <laughs> some of the some of the findings were very positive. But a lot of the things I had to listen to when I sat through those interviews were very um depressing in a lot of ways yeah. and very hard to sit yeah. through so i was thinking while i was in graduate school what else could i study while i'm here that would be about gender and sexuality in the south but also maybe be a little more fun and uplifting and i had done drag before and i, I knew that there was very little research about it especially about drag kings so i mm-hmm. thought maybe i will um see what's out there to learn about drag kinging in the South. And I started this project back in 2013 when I was in graduate school um, as my kind of side project while I was writing my dissertation. Um, I actually got a a grant from um, Mississippi State uh, that paid me to go to drag shows and so that was fun. Wow. <laughs>
0: yeah. And it's impressive that you were actually doing another study while you were working on your dissertation. Most of us don't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why. I it was maybe not the <laughs> best idea, but it it did give me some reprieve from from what I was studying that was so depressing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand wow. that. Well, you know, for those listeners who really aren't familiar with drag kinging, can you just Give us a general definition of drag king, yeah, or drag so, kinging.
1: Yeah, drag. A drag king is anybody who performs masculinities, usually exaggerated masculinities, in the context of a show or performance of some way. Um, I say anyone because historically, drag kings have been uh, assumed to be at least uh, cisgender, um, female-bodied women, and that's changed a lot. And that's kind of what I found. And, and what after um, my first round of interviews in 2013, I mm-hmm. found so many trans drag kings, and I got really interested in how um, drag king was changing from being a mainly cis women's place to a place for a lot of trans people, especially trans masculine people. So I really um, did some more interviews ba- with trans people doing drag. But Anyway, back to the original question that drag king is just anyone who performs masculinities in the context of a show. So kind of like the opposite of drag queening, but there's a lot of things that are different about it as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the things you really outline in the book and really call attention to is how it seems like drag kinging is not as, populate, it's not as popular in popular culture as drag kinging. Like, you know, for instance, there's the RuPaul show, but people don't hear about it as much. And you know, tell tell us why, why that is.
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, one of the main reasons that um, it's coming up first for me in the book, I don't know which order I put these in, but the um, mm-hmm. disappearance of the lesbian bars. Um, yeah. As yeah, you know, I yeah. Lesbian bars are, are gone almost um, across the country In the southeast there are maybe two or three left. Um, Two main ones that I know about, there might be a different one in Atlanta, possibly. Um, It's kind of actually doing a study right now about lesbian identities. And uh,
0: Uh.
1: everybody I talked to is like, no, there's gay bars, but no lesbian bars. So most drag queens historically have been um, cisgender men and a lot of times cisgender gay men. So there's still more gay bars and, and gay spaces. Um, even though some of those have begun to disappear as well.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so a lot of gay men have places to perform. Um, I think another reason that drag kinging is not as popular is because um, even, it's always been kind of taboo to play with masculinity in the way we play with femininity. Uh. Yeah, so um, masculinity is thought to be the norm and just just is. And so it's not funny. It's not performative it's not uh as fun as drag queening is performing femininity in a lot of people's mind
0: um that's really interesting because i remember reading in your book about the role of camp in um in drag and you know how camp is something and i'm i hope i'm paraphrasing this right but how camp is something that's been kind of common and in drag queen shows and accepted but it's something that's that has really hasn't been as um I don't. It's just now coming into drag hanging. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because camp was, um, camp is like the exaggeration, right? It's this like playing mm-hmm. with? Is this? I mean, when I think of camp, I think of the term queering of something, right? You're just oh
0: yeah, yeah, messing
1: with it, yeah. And and people didn't know how to do that with masculinity because. I mean, we can see back into the 1800s female um, in person. I mean, male impersonators who were women impersonating men. But even that impersonation was a very like I wear a suit and tie and pretend to be a man. Not that I'm going to interrogate masculinity. Right. Not that I'm going to break it down like mm-hmm. drag queens break down femininity in all kinds of hilarious ways and all kinds. I mean, it's just seen as having a lot more to perform, a lot more to queer, a lot more to do with. And it's just now that drag kings are starting to realize that you can play with masculinity the same way you can play with femininity. And that masculinity mm. in some ways can be even funnier because we've taken it to be so serious for so long.
0: Yeah, so it's it's been almost taboo, especially in the South, to, uh, I don't know, to... To, to mock masculinity i don't know if mocks the right word
1: yeah yeah i think so i think sometimes it is yeah. mocking sometimes it's just exaggerated it's been taboo and it's also been like i don't know how to do it like no one's done it so what do we do what how do we how do we exaggerate masculinity i mean uh, a lot of people had trouble thinking about that now a lot uh, of ways uh-huh. they do that still is like through um can be problematic like through they don't know how to do masculinity in a funny way except through ethnic stereotypes and things like that um i think which is why or sexist stereotypes which can be funny if you're if you're queering it in a certain way but it can also be problematic so it's just like yeah yeah how do we how do we make fun of masculinity with not without getting into like really um negative things like sexism and racism and these types of things
0: Well, you said something really interesting. I'm kind of skipping around too, if that's okay, through your book, because I guess, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what uh, you you talked about how, um, and I'm quoting you here. You said, drag represents hegemonic masculinity, but it also can represent challenging masculinity and demonstrating um, the the performance of all genders, I think it is. And you talked about how you noticed in the South that there was more... That, that Southern drag kings were more likely to shy away from doing drag as a political commentary versus exaggerating some of the masculine stereotypes that are, that are really negative. Um, in fact, you give example of rape, for instance, in one, one section.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. Hegemonic masculinity is just that culturally accepted, like when you think of what is a man, like what image mm-hmm. pops in your mind. And, and for most people, that's just like a very, uh, buff guy he's usually white he's usually good-looking like all these things and then we also know that a lot of toxic masculinity comes from men trying to be this hegemonic form of masculinity um and and when drag performers don't understand how to parody masculinity but instead just mock i just they just um What's the word? They mimic it instead of trying make yeah. it funny. Yeah. So when they mimic it, it can be really problematic. Like the example I gave of seeing someone act out a rape scene to a song that was, it was about rape and it, but they did it in this performance and people that did, didn't really seem that bothered by it. Like it was like, yeah, that's what men do. Yeah, you said it was a
0: nine-inch nails song, I believe, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Fuck you like an animal,
0: and and, yeah. And I was, I was so, I was surprised when I read that. But then I, um, I wondered why, why you thought it was that, um, you're more likely to see, you're more likely to see drag kinging used as a political commentary, versus in the south. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, drag kinging. uh, as I said in the book, that mainly grew in the cultural mainstream in the um, early 1990s. And when it started, a lot of it was um, in the Northeast and um, on the West Coast. And it came out of colleges and it was usually feminist organizations doing it.
0: Ah, okay, so a lot okay. of the
1: starts of drag king getting more popular really came out of these different drag troops or drag families, uh, usually called themselves troops, that were often like, college gender studies students and stuff so they were really political they were trying to challenge gender and they were mostly cis women a lot of lesbian cis women who wanted to say we can we can act like men if we want to we can look like men if we want to and they really wanted to take power back from men um but as as drag migrated from the west coast and the northeast Mm -hmm. um it it began to get into bar culture in ways that weren't necessarily political and became more about like the entertainment aspect of it and the fun of it, um, like drag queen, instead of just being political. So now a lot of the drag kings, especially the younger drag kings, don't understand or don't even know about the political history of drag kinging and the like even back to male impersonators, right? In the 1800s, mm-hmm. they were they were doing this as is a political act in a lot of ways to say, uh, I deserve a place on the stage. I deserve the power. I deserve to be listened to. I deserve to be able to make jokes. Um, but now a lot of the drag kings in the South don't know that history and don't connect with it. And they're just using drag either for fun or as a way to try on masculinity because they think they might be trans or gender queer or something like uh,
0: that.
1: So. Um, yeah. Yeah. In general, a lot, a lot, um, not as, as an educated population of drag Kings, which has a lot to do with region has a lot to do with just changes. It has a lot to do with, you know, class also. Um, and we we're talking, you know, these first drag Kings were, like middle or upper class gender studies students, right? Who had the money to go to the uh, yeah. grad graduate school in gender studies in the Northeast in the nineteen nineties? I mean, these were a lot of white women, and um, so yeah, so it's changed a lot. It's be it's just become it, I don't even know if I would say we come, but in the South, I don't know that they've connected to those feminist roots of drag kinging ever really. It's just something that they started taking. They knew that drag dragging exists and started to, in some ways mimic drag queens in there, um, in the way that they performed it.
0: Which the way was, they performed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And drag queens have never necessarily been that political. It's been a, more about humor and, and escape mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and uh, fun. Um, in a different way, yeah.
0: Well, and you have this great—you have a great chapter, you know, where you talk about the intersectionality of all, so many different things: um, race, um, gender, and even—I um, don't want to leave anything out. But you know, you talk even about the geographic location somebody's living in and how that mm-hmm. affects how it affects, that affects um, someone's drag persona and and their in their performance. I, I just wondered how do you how do you think the culture of the South impacts or has you know has an effect on somebody's um performance as a drag king yeah
1: um i mean i think in the south we still um as a general rule are more conservative um the south is still more religious the south still holds um more i hate the word traditional but traditional r- yeah, ideas yeah. about gender um, right so i think that that i mean most of the drag kings I spoke with, and most of the drag kings performing in the South are are from the South, and and so they've been socialized to understand masculinity in this more stereotypical manner than, and then maybe drag kings in like specific Pacific Northwest or the West Coast um, might have a more fluid understanding of gender. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that all of that and all of our socialization, um, a lot of the drag kings are still religious. Um, and I don't think you would find that as much in other areas of the country either. So I think all of that goes into, um, really making region shape how they even think about masculinity. And so how they view masculinity is how they perform Mm -hmm. it.
0: (laughs) It makes sense. It's what they know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of tied to this is you make a comment that I thought was interesting. You say that, um, masculinities are performances. What do you, Mm -hmm. what did you mean by that?
1: That there's nothing inherent um, about masculinities, um, in mm-hmm. my opinion, that there are some inherent things about maleness and about femaleness. But we're taught about masculinities and, and, and the way we mm-hmm. know this, what we teach in sociology is like if we look across different cultures and time, it's looked totally different. So if it were inherent then men in all places would be doing something similar and they're not right. In some cultures, Uh, mm -hmm. in some cultures we know that men are, you know, dancing around with makeup on and that's, that's masculine in that culture. So um, there's nothing like that says that makeup is inherently for women and, And that dancing is inherently for women and not men and these things is things that we've been taught. So we're taught and then we perform them. They're not something natural that just comes to us. We have to learn them. I mean, why is why is hunting assumed to be a masculine thing? Right. It's because Mm -hmm, we're taught it, mm -hmm. not because it I mean, most women can hold up a gun and shoot it. But that's not something we're taught as a feminine thing to do. So um, I I say that masculinity is is. Mm social construction that's that we've been taught to perform it's not something we have innately it's not something we're taught how we walk we're taught how we talk we're taught how we Mm -hmm. even shake hands and things like that
0: so it's about gender expression versus uh, i guess biological gender
1: yeah, versus biological sex, I would say, yeah. Like biological, biological sex, sex exactly, yeah, yeah, that
0: makes sense. Yeah, one thing. Yeah.
1: And, and I, I think there's a lot less differences in terms of biological sex than we believe is a general rule too. Mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. there are obviously a few things that that each sex can do that the other can't for you know, like women can have children. That's like one of the few right, things right. like actual differences. Um, but When it comes to gender, mostly it's just about the expression and how you feel. Like you have your gender identity, how you feel, and then your gender expression, how you perform that. And there's nothing natural about it. It's all about how you've been taught and how you want to perform Mm -hmm. it. I mean, I can perform masculinity uh, one day and femininity the next.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to describe it, too. Uh, Talk about, if you would, talk about um, your alter ego. making love <laughs> yeah
1: so uh i wanted to uh, refer- i love the
0: name by the way yeah, oh, that's great you. it's awesome yeah
1: thank you yeah. Uh, so i i a lot of the names as as you read in the in the description and then as you read in the book are just really punny i guess right they're used yeah. to they use different puns and they're funny and a lot of them though are very sexist and a lot of them are about penises um, so oh, I didn't want my okay, name to yeah. be about a penis <laughs> and I didn't <laughs> want my name to be sexist or problematic.
0: That's so funny. Wanted, yeah. Uh, I wanted it
1: to be something funny that wasn't sexist. So that's yeah. why I, yeah. how I came up with making love. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, my alter ego making love is just very, very confident in a way that I don't think women are taught to be confident. Um, mm-hmm. very fun loving and, um, I always say my alter ego is also uh, from should have been in an 80s hair band, right? So,
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: so very um, rock and roll, but also just goofy and fun. And um, I, I love to do it. I haven't even performed that much. It's just the few times I uh. performed. I just noticed and I know a lot of performers and I went to lots of drag shows And I just noticed that everything I read about drag kings or drag queens wasn't like anything I'd heard or witnessed or felt when I was performing. So that's why I thought it was important that we look at drag kings in the South because they're just so different in a lot of ways. Um, And Mm -hmm. drag is just being used in different ways in the South than it was used, say, in New York when it was like used as a feminist outlet. It's just being used a lot differently. So um,
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Making Love just gave me that a little bit of behind the scenes view of it all and let me, I guess, do my um, ethnographic research in a way. I, I wasn't when yeah. I performed, yeah. I wasn't doing ethnographic research. In fact, like I performed before I, I started this research. So um, but but then looking back on it, it was it's how I really knew and understand understood that drag in the South was different when I read the research about drag that was out there.
0: Interesting. And t- t- what a t- talk about performing, what that's like when you when you did perform.
1: Oh, man, it's uh it's very oh, I don't I'm I'm not musical. I can't dance. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I'm <laughs> not a performer in other ways other than I mean, I'm a professor. I think we're performers in some ways.
0: But that's it's right. When, you're, at, when you're on stage, right. Yeah. When you're lecturing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's a different type of performance. It's not a it's not a for entertainment in the same way. Um, although we do have to entertain a lot now to keep our <laughs> students engaged. That's um,
0: exactly right. Yep. Um,
1: but, um, I don't know when, when you go on stage, it just, I would always be really super nervous. Um, I will say, uh, because uh, if I were doing this as part of my research, I wouldn't have probably had so much to drink, but I was doing it before mm-hmm. my research started. And, um, it's a very drinking heavy culture, um,
0: uh, yeah, the bar. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's always in bars. Um, so, I mean, we would have a lot to drink before the shows. We would get there early and get ready. Um, so you just felt like you were I don't know, you just felt this kind of behind the scenes camaraderie before the mm-hmm. show started. And then once you're on stage, it just felt crazy um, just to be up there and performing. I mean, anybody that's like in a band or done musical performances or those types of things, I guess, would um understand what that feeling's like because i don't really know how to describe it and i've never really captured that feeling in other ways even though we're not really singing we're really you know people are watching us perform and so well some some drag kings and queens do sing but most do not most of it's lip syncing
0: so you're you're you're, be, you're behind you know you're in the in the behind stage someplace in a, in a dressing room um changing into the, you know, the outfit of making love and then the anticipation of going out there on stage and the camaraderie of other people getting ready to do the same thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a thrill. It's exciting and nerve wracking. And
0: um,
1: I think everybody should do it at least once.
0: <laughs> yeah, it must be electric that, you know, that energy that's, that's happening while you're it, getting ready to do that.
1: Yeah, it is. And you're usually crafting in a way too tight dressing room that's not really a (laughs) dressing room because you're in a bar. So you're probably in a back closet or somewhere weird and you're putting on like, I don't know, just watching queens and kings get dressed and ready and facial hair everywhere and hips and all kinds of stuff. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, you mentioned drag queens and one of the things that I I found really interesting was um, the – The role of drag queens as one of the controversies in um in drag itself that the the tension between drag kings and drag queens
1: yeah yeah i think there's a lot of reasons for that tension um i think uh queens definitely have a monopoly still on the Mm -hmm. and they probably always will especially with most of these taking place in gay spaces um I think there's something to be said for outside of drag. It's assumed that Queens have male bodies and that, and that translates into more Mm -hmm. power in our society. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And even when they're dressed like women, even when they're performing as women, they still have that power because it's assumed underneath they have a penis, which is crazy.
0: Right. Right. right, That
1: that we assume this one thing that we can't see and we don't know for sure if they have gives them some kind of inherent power, even when Mm -hmm. they're performing as women. Um,
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So, um, I think that's part of the problem. I think there has been a long tension between um, gay men and other people within the queer community, lesbians, Mm -hmm. trans men, those types of things. So I think that falls over into drag, obviously. Um, Gay men have gotten a lot more of the resources and a lot more of the support from Mm -hmm. um, organizations and politically than um, other groups have. And I think some of that tension spills over into. Um, these controversies between drag kings which at least the ones I talked to were mainly either cis lesbian women or um, or gender queer and maybe identified mm-hmm. as lesbian or queer in some way or trans men and these are all groups that um, have had issues with gaining space and resources and these types of things in other ways from from gay men specifically white gay men um, mm-hmm. and so it's there's just a lot of tension there, and I think some of that's going away. I think some queens are awesome at really um, promoting drag kings and helping drag mm-hmm. kings, um, mm-hmm. taking them under their wings. They talked a little bit about drag families that usually,
0: yeah, yeah. Are,
1: all revolve around the drag mom. So the drag queen really taking kings under their wings. So I think there's definitely some queens that want to work with drag kings and help. But I mean, even from RuPaul, we see, you know the problematic issues with trans issues and um, drag Kings on Rupaul's drag race and those types of things that Rupaul has said in the past it's just this long-standing um gay men have had a position of power within this larger oppressed group right
0: yeah it, it's it mimics mimics overall society it seems yeah. like it seeps it seeps into our community too
1: yeah unfortunately it always does yeah.
0: Yeah. You touched on for a moment when you mentioned RuPaul, but I thought this was interesting that a lot of people may not be aware of it. And the controversy – one of the controversies you talked about was the tension between um, cis, cis drag performers and trans drag performers.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like you said, RuPaul's been involved in that, but it's a much bigger issue too that just in general um, – I think until very recently – Drag was seen as something for cisgender people to do because it was assumed that if you were trans, that you were cheating in some way because you were getting maybe hormones or you were getting surgeries or things like that. So it was no longer an illusion um, that so drag Mm -hmm. when started out as I mean. And they still, like some people still call it a male illusionist, right? Or female illusionist. Oh, um, I didn't know yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's this idea of an illusion that we're kind of playing with your mind and we're really something else underneath. Um, and so when when you start to change your body, then it was seen as cheating or problematic or that why would you want to continue to perform if you really are a man? Um, but now we've started to see it. Go so far as to trans kings being really accepted, and then go so far as that like cisgender straight men are performing as drag kings. So really, uh, it's very rare. But I saw a cisgender, actually, he was I think he was a gay man, but he was a cisgender black man performed as a drag queen, king and won the show. Uh, and some people were not happy with that because they said he cheated. Like it's not you're not you are a man like you can't perform as one because you are a man, but he was a really good dancer and he performed as a drag king and he won the, won the contest.
0: So that, so then I wonder how does that fit into the definition of a drag king?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it fits into my definition because anybody performing masculinity in the context of Ah, a drag show.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For me,
1: it fits in. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like personally, like if I were like, I would have said before I did all this research, like, no, cis people should not be, like, cis women Mm -hmm. should not be performing as drag queens. But that's happening a lot more than cis men performing as drag kings. A lot of cis women, they called faux queens or uh, bio queens. And a lot of cis women really want to perform as drag queens because it's so fun. Um,
0: So interesting. And, you know, I've heard people say, you know, in terms of a drag queen, um, who's a cis woman a, a, a woman playing a man playing a woman yeah yeah so i guess i guess it's the same with a yeah a man playing a woman playing a man
1: yeah and but that's assuming that you had to be a woman to be a king or that's right be, that makes yeah. that makes sense yeah, yeah, so yeah so it's yeah. really just it's really just the man exaggerating masculinity and a woman exaggerating femininity because they want to do it but it it comes back to the question of is this what drag is for and also Mm
0: -hmm.
1: i mean i think it comes to a broader question too um that i've been coming up against lately especially in my lesbian research and just in general Mm -hmm. hearing that some straight cis people are starting to call themselves queer and it's like once we let everybody Uh, be it does it become nothing and like is there is there really an you know there's a need for a queer space like that might be why the lesbian bars disappear because we feel like there's no longer this need and when we lose that where do queer people go what do queer people do where do they go yeah, uh, yeah. who are queer people if everyone is queer what does that even mean like so i think it gets to this bigger question of like if we start letting cis men be drag kings then are they just going to take over drag kinging as well and then it just not be this queer powerful thing that it could be for trans and and non-binary and women. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I think about it because I do have some problems with like straight cisgender people calling themselves queer because
0: right. Right.
1: If again, if that's like, if everybody called themselves, yeah, something, then it, it means nothing. So.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, conversation because yeah. yeah if if everybody calls themselves a member of a minority group but they're not how does that affect the minority group
1: right and, and then and then you but when you start trying to police it then you get into bigger problems too so i don't know how yeah. you do that yeah so it's like it seems I like I don't, a
0: circle that goes around and around
1: right so that's why i say cis men performing as drag kings are drag kings but mm-hmm. do i like that i don't i don't know uh, you know that's a that's a different question do i do i think that's good for drag probably not because it's going to take positions away it's going to take
0: mm-hmm. but yeah, i don't have yeah. a problem
1: with trans men performing as drag kings so then then the question becomes how do we draw that boundary because i you know i know that trans men are men but right, they right. do have a different history and they also probably a lot of trans men were performing as drag kings before they transition and they don't want to lose that community. Uh, whereas cis men don't have that same issue. So I, I don't know. So I, I'm not gonna police it in my definition of it, in my own understanding of it. It is hard mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. to think if everyone is something, then then it means nothing. And it ha- and I think that drag and, and the word queer and all these broader conversations, I think these things are powerful and I, I don't want to water them down to a point that they're not, they lose their power. But at the same time, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. want to be the police of them because I don't want to tell people what they can and cannot do in any way.
0: <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. We could probably have a whole other show about that because it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think a good way to um, end our talk today on a positive note is to talk a little bit about the benefits of drag that, that you discuss in your book.
1: Yeah, um, I think especially in the South, the benefits are just tremendous. It gives people uh, an outlet um, to play with gender in a way that Southern society is maybe not ready for. Um, We're starting to see younger people really play with gender more out in everyday life. But um, people my age and older did not have that space. Mm -hmm. So drag gives people the ability to try on different versions of gender, try on different genders, try on... um, just to see how that would feel in everyday life. Drag provides support, you know, that camaraderie Mm -hmm. I talked about, it provides um, a support system that may not be available to trans and queer people um, in the South in the way it is in other areas where there are more resources. Um, And overall, it just provides an outlet. Um, I think the most important thing is the resources and the support system, but also having an outlet just to have fun and, step outside of talking about discrimination and and prejudice and thinking about what's negative about being queer it provides a queer space to step into that's supposed to be there for fun um, mm-hmm. and i think that's important yeah. like to celebrate queerness i mean drag really is a celebration and a and a literal sing and dance celebration of queerness in some way
0: i love that that's a that's a perfect way to end our talk today because it's <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful statement. Mm-hmm. So, well, Baker, thanks so much for talking to me today.
1: Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's very fun. I love I love talking about drag anytime.
0: <laughs> oh, it's a fascinating it's just a, it's a wonderful conversation. Um and to our to our listeners, if you are interested in reading Baker's book King of Hearts, click on the highlighted title of the book in the description included with this podcast. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at Voices Underline South in the public group Queer Voices of the South on Facebook or email us at Queer of the South at gmail.com and join us again next time for Queer Voices of the South on the New Books Network